when we study our Bibles, we have to pray. Because the Bible is God's word, and uh, he speaks to hearts that are humble. So if we come to God's word with prideful hearts thinking, what is he going to show me? What is he going to tell me that I don't already know? If we come in with that heart, he is going to shut us out and we're not going to understand anything he wants to show us because he demands that we come to him with humility because he is God and we are men and our place is below him, listening to him. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, the Bibles are all in the seats right, right in front of you. You can take one of those. You're going to definitely want to see these scriptures that we're going to be going through today. You can do it on your phone if you want, your fancy schmancy, whatever you got. But if you don't have a Bible and you would like to take one of the Bibles from under, you can absolutely do that too. They're free for you to take. Don't say, I never gave you nothing. All right. So Exodus chapter 9, let's pray. Jesus, we definitely um, come to you with need, with, uh, with humility, because uh, your word is, is great, and it's, it can be so confusing uh, when we come to it with just our own understanding. We need your Holy Spirit uh, to reveal it to us. And even, even if someone in here doesn't quite know you or hasn't surrendered their life to you, your Holy Spirit can still work in their life and bring them to a knowledge of you and open our eyes and open our hearts in ways that uh, we really need. So Lord, I pray for everyone from the young kids over here in the front to uh, older people, all of us. I pray our hearts would be tender and humble and open to what you would have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The whole lesson today could be described with our last uh, song that we sang, which is, What Can Wash Away Our Sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're actually going to sing it at the end of service. So preview. I practiced it before, so I got a little confused. Don't, don't yell at me. Um, so what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you were to call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, which nobody did this week. I, I offered it last week. Call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, and if I know what the, the sermon is, then, I, then I've sufficiently studied. I know what I'm talking about. Well, that's what the, the, the whole sermon is about this week. So let's get into what we're talking about. We got these 10 plagues going on. The children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt, and God is going to redeem them. He is in the process of showing them how strong and mighty he is, that he is going to rescue his people, take them out of slavery, out of bondage, and to do that, he has to judge the world. He's going to come against the world and everything that the world uh, is holding over his people. God is going to war for them. And, uh, and so we've seen, these, uh, we've seen five plagues so far and how each of them have a spiritual lesson. They weren't just frogs and lice. Uh, he didn't just pick out of his hat of plagues and, and, and decide, you get frogs today and you get lice tomorrow. It wasn't like that. God had a specific reason for each and every one of these plagues. And we've learned that they all had a, a lesson and today is no different. Um, I'm going to steal BK's joke. Uh, it all boils down to Jesus. <laughs> Good job. So today we're studying the plague of boils. Boils. And if you don't know what boils are, um, it's worth a Google. Uh, <laughs> they're like, you know, they're just like huge, bulging, pussy sores. Uh, gross. Disgusting. Yeah. Go for it. Um, so that's what the boils are. So let's read our text, Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12, and we'll see what the Lord has to teach us today. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it will cause boils to break out in sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils to break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So a couple things we see in here that are really important to recognize. First of all, a furnace. Now, what did they use a furnace for in Egypt? Um, it wasn't to stay warm. Obviously, they have uh, plenty of heat, naturally, down there in Egypt. So what did they use these furnaces for? Well, they had this, um, they had this, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. Human sacrifices is what they used furnaces for. We see this later in the, in the Babylon, right, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar wanted to, uh, to sacrifice them or to burn them. Uh, he threw them in a furnace of fire, right? Well, here we have this furnace, and they had these furnaces for this reason of doing human sacrifices. And the, the definite article means here this was one of the, um, the specific furnaces that they used. He said it was the furnace. It was one of them that they used. And probably what was going on here is that Pharaoh had all of these uh, plagues happening, and he was still in rebellion against God. He, God's way is humble yourself and do what I say, do my will. And, and Pharaoh's like, no, I will not. And so Pharaoh keeps sacrificing to his other gods, all the, all the demons that they worshiped at this time. And, and so these sacrifices, he's trying to get these plagues to stop. Pharaoh is doing everything in his power to get these plagues to stop. He doesn't want to submit to God. He said, I'm going to do everything I can to not do what you want me to do, including I'm going to sacrifice people. I'm going to burn them to my gods to hopefully convince them to fight for me. But what Pharaoh is missing out on, what he doesn't understand is that God is the most high God. He is above all, and, and he cannot be fought against. He will win. You can't resist him. If you're in rebellion, you will lose. So these sacrifices, sacrifices are what Pharaoh has been trusting in, and God takes the, fern, the ashes that, that is the result of these sacrifices and uh, has Moses throw them up in the air, and they become these boils, things that are very painful, things that don't, obviously, are not helpful to Pharaoh at all. But in your life and in my life, sacrifices can be things that we try to give up or change or offer to please God. Sacrifices. And that can be good or bad. You could kind of say that these are things we think God wants from us. Well, if I'm going to be a Christian, I have to look a certain way. 
I have to live a certain way. Maybe I have to give some money. Maybe I have to not watch this. Maybe I have to not do those things. Or maybe God wants me to put these things in a furnace and burn them in offering to him. And that's a really important question that we need to talk about. Is this what God wants from us? Sacrifices. Does God want you to try and bring your own sacrifices to him? Uh, You know, are we instructed? Are we taught in the Bible to give sacrifices in order to change God's anger or to take away plagues that might be on our life? Maybe you have something in your life. Maybe you got the cancer or the betis, the diabetes, or you're, you got whatever it is. <laughs> you got, maybe you just can't hold a relationship, or you can't hold a job. You, you feel like there's a plague in your life. And you, what does God want from me? Maybe he wants a sacrifice. Maybe if I give up this, God will change his mind and start treating me better. Is that what God wants from us? Is that what he's teaching us in this? Are you actually living your life trying to give sacrifices to God like Pharaoh is here? Pharaoh, he's sacrificing to that God, but maybe if this God hears me and thinks I'm cool, maybe he'll help me either. He doesn't even know who he's sacrificing to, but what was Pharaoh instructed to do by God? Do you guys remember? God came to him many times and he said, let my people go. God says to him, obey me, Pharaoh, obey obey. And he did not. Pharaoh chose to sin. He chose to rebel. He chose to turn away. He chose to revolt. And I'm using all these words very specifically for an important reason. He cho- Those are his choices when God said simply, obey, or there's going to be troubles. Bro, it's going to be bad. And Pharaoh says, nope, 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 nope. I'm going to sin. I'm going to rebel. And I'm going to turn away. But God's people, we as God's people, we do the same thing sometimes. God says, I want you to obey. I want you to obey in this area of your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, in the way that you're working at your job. I want you to obey me and my words. And we say, "Mm, not today. I'm going to do what I want to do today. I know you say, don't sleep with my girlfriend until I get married, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And God's like, you're not going to obey? You're really not going to obey me. I'm so, that's, that's unfortunate. There will be consequences for those choices, right? So obedience, man, so important. So let's turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Because this is where the story of Pharaoh comes to be the story of us and what we go. So go to turn the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, just find the book of Isaiah, and we're going to be in chapter 1 a little bit. Isaiah chapter 1. We're starting verse 2. And I want you to see these verses for yourself. So actually turn there or flip in your phone or wherever. You'll see the connections between what we're talking about with Pharaoh and these sacrifices and you and your life and God's people. So here it says, Hear, O heavens, And give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children. So God, he's saying, I I care about my people. I nourish them. They were like born and I've, I've taken care of them. And I consider myself their dad. 
I consider them my children. I love them so much. And he says, but they have rebelled against me, my own kids. He says, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, a sinful nation. That's a word to highlight. A people, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. These are all their choices he's describing. They've forsaken the Lord. They've provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned backward. Why should you be stricken again, God says. He asks them a question. He says, you guys, I am your dad. I love you. I consider you my children. But you guys constantly make these decisions to turn away from me. And he says, I will strike you. I will discipline you. Why? Because he loves you. The Bible says a father who loves his children disciplines his children. Right, boys? That's right. That's right. He says, why should you be stricken again? I ask my boys sometimes, do you really want to do a discipline again? And they're like, no, which is smart. But he's asking the children of Israel, why do you want to get stricken again? He says, you will revolt more and more. Then listen to this verse. He says, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's no soundness in it. But look at this. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. That's how he describes his children and their condition when they're living in rebellion. What does that remind you of? The boils, right? It's like the same thing. He says, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. This is breaking God's heart. He loves his children, and he doesn't want them to experience the boils. And the people of God, we, they experience the same type of plague as the people of Egypt uh, that we read about in Exodus. They were wounds and bruises and petrifying sores. When we disobey, God brings a judgment against us. Because he loves us. You know, we look at the choices that it mentioned there. It said they rebel, they sin, they commit iniquity, they're evildoers, they're corrupting, they forsake the Lord, and they turn away backwards. All those describe what Pharaoh's doing, what the people of Egypt are doing in Exodus. But unfortunately, they also describe my life sometimes, maybe a lot of times. And then, I'm go- and then I find my life falling apart and I find pain in my heart and in my life and I wonder why am I going through such difficult times and the Lord says, because you didn't obey me. Because you didn't obey. These are the choices that led to this horrible plague. So what should God's people do now? The children of Israel in, in Isaiah, what should they do? They've made bad choices. They're experiencing bad consequences. So now what? Well, here's what they do. They are going to try their best. They are going to get all religious on their, on the, in their situations. They're going to think of what they should have been doing the whole time, making sacrifices. But as we see, their sacrifices are too little too late and they don't matter anymore, and they're not good enough to change the situation that they're in. Look in verse 11 in Isaiah chapter 1. Check this out. 
God asked them, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? God says, look at the situation you're in. You've done all this horrible stuff saying, I don't care about you, God. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I bring a plague and now you're all, oh, let me do a bunch of sacrifices. And God's like, no. He says, I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of cattle. He says, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this of your hand to trample on my courts? God's like, you are treating me horribly. You say, I don't care about you. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And then I send a plague on you. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry now. God's like, it's a joke. It's a joke. Bring no more futile sacrifices, he says. Incense is an abomination to me. He says, new moons and Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity at the, and the sacred meeting. He says, everything you guys do, all your, you, you try to get everyone together to have a prayer meeting to fix what's going on. And he says, you don't care about me. You don't care about me. He says, your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Could God be any more aggressive? He's not like being passive aggressive, saying, oh, they're not really cool. They're not great. Come on, fam. No, he's saying, I hate, I despise what you're doing to me. He's saying, my soul hates them. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make prayers, I will not hear you because your hands are full of blood. Wow, this is rough, Jesus. See, here's the problem. As we read all these things and all the things that God told, they're all things that God told them to do when they sinned. God instructed the people what to do when they sinned. He said, when you sin, I want you to go get your pet lamb I want you to bring your pet lamb, lead him to the temple, and then we're going to take a knife and we're going to slit his throat and take all the blood and we're going to sprinkle it. And that was what they were required to do when they sinned. So we have a problem here. It seems like the people were just following instructions. Oh, we sin and then we take the lamb and we kill it and we're all good, right? But obviously God is not happy about this. God is really ticked off. Why? And the answer is because the people are not doing any of these things with faith. They, they're doing them, but they're doing them trusting in themselves, in their efforts, in their performance of these things, and not in the grace of God and in his love. So in other words, they're bringing the lamb And they're like, okay, if I bring the lamb, then I am going to be good in God's sight. And God's like, that's not how it works. You bring the lamb being obedient to me, and then you look to me and ask me to forgive you, but you have to talk to me about it. You can't just think that doing the lamb, you don't have to talk to me. You don't have to engage with me and ask me for grace and my love. I will pour it out on you, but you have to engage with me about it. So even doing the right thing was bad for these people because doing the right thing meant that they didn't have to trust 
in God's grace and in God's power in their life. And God said, I hate this. Think about it. If God wanted them to do the right thing, he couldn't get upset when they appear to be doing the right thing on the outside, but they're faking it on the inside. But if God has really commanded them to trust him and live by faith, then the outward actions can be faked by unbelieving hearts. They can't be faked if it's really by faith. And this is what we call hypocrisy. You guys heard that word before? It's got a a bad um, reputation in the church. Oh, he's a hypocrite. He's fake. We don't like that. And what that means in the Bible is that they try to look right. They try to look what they're doing is right on the outside. But on the inside, it requires no trusting in the Lord, no faith. And God says that does not work. Pretending to be godly with your outward actions while not trusting him with your heart. And look at God's heart when it comes to fake religious people. And I want you to ask yourself, am I a fake religious person? Did I come to church today to prove myself to God? Did I come to church today to to look good in front of other people? Did I come to church today or did I come to church today because I'm desperately in need of God and his help? Did I come to church today because I love the Lord and I desire to receive from him his spirit and wisdom and knowledge that comes from his word? Those are the different options we have. And look at God's heart when dealing with fake religious people. Maybe it's even you. He says, what's the point? He says, I've had enough. I'm tired of it. He says, I'm not happy that you're here. Whoa, this is a hardcore sermon. God says, you disrespect me. You dishonor me by showing up here and not even thinking, thinking it's about you or it's about what other people think of you. No, he says. He says, uh, your efforts are futile, meaning what you're doing is not going to work. You're not going to feel better. I'm not going to give you anything, the peace that you're looking for, maybe. He even says, you smell bad to me. No, I forgot to put on deodorant today. Fully admit it. Sorry, guys. Praise the Lord anyway. But God's not smelling my B.O. He's smelling my heart. He's smelling all your hearts right now. He's walking around the room. His sin sniffer is going. No, just kidding. But... (laughs) he says you smell bad to me that's the part where he says your incense is an abomination to me the smell that comes from you because he's he's not looking at the outward he's looking at the inward what's going on in your heart and he can he it's like a smell to him have you guys you guys ever have just one of those horrible smells that just won't go away oh that's what he's like when our hearts come without the humility that we need to have here He says, I can't take it anymore. He says, I don't even want to look at you. He says, he literally hides his eyes. He's like, oh, they're at church again? No. Oh, that's lame. And then he says, I I will not listen to you. So he plugs his ears and covers his eyes. And he's just like, I can't believe they're at church. I can't believe they think that I accept them in their condition. I don't to humble yourself to come before me as God. Hmm. 
Wow. God is very upset with this kind of behavior. But maybe we thought that God is so loving that he just accepts everyone the way they are and he just says, just believe in me and we're all good. We're all good. Just, if you show up at church, that's good enough. Even if you just say you're a Christian without even being at church or ever being involved in church, that's good enough. God says, nope. No. It just isn't reality. God is holy. What does that mean? It means he must be honored and respected. And if you don't honor and respect him, he's not your God. Um, sin makes it impossible to honor and respect him. We can't do it. No matter how many sacrifices we make, it will only make it worse. Oh, I can be a Christian and totally disobey God's command to be in, involved and engaged in a, a body of Christ, a church. I can have church up in the mountains by myself with the trees and the squirrels and the chipmunks and I have a just fine relationship with God, and don't you tell me otherwise. God says, you're a joke. You're a joke, and I'm not listening to you. You're out there praising me. Whatever, I don't hear it. Because I've given you a command to love and serve the people in the church, and you are disobeying me. So when you speak, I can't hear it. It's gross. Your smell is disgusting because you're living in rebellion. Oh, I can live in with my girlfriend, and we can do anything we want to do before we get married and still go to church and be fine with God. And God says, no, no, it's not okay. So what do we do? They thought doing good works and, and doing all these sacrifices is what God was looking for. And God is very clear with them saying, no, that is not what I'm looking for. Sacrifice was not the answer. Look what God says here. He gives them the answer now. He says, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Put away evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, which is the color red, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says to them, this is important. Sacrifice, your sacrifice is not the answer. Your sacrifice is not the answer. You need washing. That's the answer. You need washing. And there is a washing, he says, that can take your sin away, and that is the solution. But you need to be, what do you say? Willing and obedient. You have to want it. See, you can go two ways. You can say, well, I want to be right in God's sight, but I want to do it my way by coming to church and doing all the good things I know I should do, and then God will look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay, that's one way, and that involves me and my pride, in the, and, and that's, that's the way they wanted to do it first, and God said, that way doesn't work. But there's a different way. There's a different way. What do we need? And he says, 
All you need to do is be willing and obey. Obey what? Obey what? One word. God's word. The gospel. The gospel. Have you guys ever thought about how the gospel is something to be obeyed? The gospel is something to be obeyed? 1 Peter 4.17 is a verse that says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? See, God gives many laws, many rules. You guys could name 10 of them probably, maybe more. And we are expected to obey those rules. But those rules weren't even given until 400 years after Abraham was invited into a relationship with God where God said, obey. And Abraham's like, okay, I'll obey you. And in that relationship, God had one rule for Abraham. Just follow me and believe what I say. Listen to my word. And Abraham was like, yeah, I'll do that. And that showed us how to live a life of faith, which is better than a a life of laws. So all these laws and all the laws that we can think of, the Ten Commandments, they are not what our relationship with God is built on. They are It's all built on faith, faith in his word and his promises to provide all that we need to wash us, he says. And the laws, that they're high and holy and perfect. We don't say anything bad against the Ten Commandments. We love those Ten Commandments, but faith is what God asks us to focus on. When we have faith in him, our actions line up with the law that we know is right. And that's how God works. The law does one thing, it measures our lives, and and it shows us how sinful we are. And the Bible never says that we can ever measure up to the law because we are dirty sinners. The law says we're guilty and we're dirty. And the law is not there for us just to imitate. And that's not what Christianity is about. That's not why we're here, is me telling you, here's 10 good things to do, go out and do them. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I can't do good. I need God to save me and and do it for me. And God says, yes, I will. That's what Christianity is. But it gets so twisted in our minds when we think of the Ten Commandments and the law, and God wants us to be free from all of that. Jesus is the Savior that we know that we need. When we look at the law, he comes into our hearts. He makes us clean. When we realize that we're not clean, we're not innocent, that we're guilty, we realize we need to be cleaned. Jesus comes and he cleans us from the inside and it works its way out in our actions. The law can only make someone look good on the outside. That's that hypocrisy part. It can't change anyone's heart because it's a piece of rock with 10 rules written on it. And it can't change your heart, and you can't change your heart. Only Jesus can change your heart when you humble yourself and ask him to change your heart. And that's why Pharaoh's sacrifices didn't matter. That's why they actually became boils. They actually hurt him. Nothing can change the heart except for God's grace. It's a real internal working of God, not just trying to make sacrifices to please him. Turn with me to Psalm 51, and we're almost done, guys. We're, we're 
getting towards the end. David, David was a man after God's own heart, right? But David committed all kinds of sins. So what, did Dave, what does David show us in his life of how to have a right relationship with God? The people of Israel, their thing was, okay, I sinned, now I need to go do these sacrifices, and they could do it without faith. But David, he was different. He says in Psalm 51.7, he says, Purge me, that's a cleaning word, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Sin is like this dark red spot on our life that can't be taken away. And he, he says, I can be made whiter than snow if it's done with hyssop. And so what was hyssop? Hyssop was this little bush type plant, kind of like this, maybe a little more fluffy than that. And they would take it, it would grow out in the desert, but they would use it. God told them to use it. They, when they kill the lamb, they would take the blood and they would dip the hyssop, kind of like a paintbrush, in the blood. They'd get it all bloody and then they would paint the holy of holies with the blood putting the blood of the sacrifice in God's presence. And that, if you had faith in God, would cleanse you. And that's what David is saying. Because David was unclean. He had just committed a sin that, commanded, that demanded death. He committed adultery and murder. And it's sin that would not go away by itself. And so David cries out. He says, wash me. He didn't say, look at all I'm doing for you, God. He didn't say that. He didn't say, look how hard I'm trying. Look at how much I want this. Look at my efforts and look at who I am. And look, I didn't try. I didn't mess up that bad. There's only one person I killed. David didn't make any excuses. He just said, wash me. Wash me. It's a statement of faith. He's depending on God and humility saying, I can't wash myself. David wants this hyssop, he says, wash me with hyssop. He wants God to take the magical paintbrush, dip it in Jesus' blood, and wash him. He's like, I need it for me because I need to be washed and be whiter than snow. And David has confidence that if God does this cleaning, that he'll be whiter than snow. That's trust, that's faith. It would be like it never happened. God can change the inside. Jesus, he stood before Peter dressed in a towel, just naked except for a towel. And he said to Peter, if I don't wash you, you can have no part in me. Right? Jesus is standing just right there, ready and willing to do the work we so desperately need him to do and want him to do. He's ready. And all we need to do is humble ourselves and accept the work that he does for us. Say, okay. Peter was like, you're never going to wash me. I am too good, or, or, or you're too, or I don't understand why, but it offends me at the deepest level of who I am. You will never wash me. And that's how we act so often. We say, God, you're good, but I don't want, I, I, I just, it breaks me, it humbles me that I don't, I can't do this on my own. And so we neglect asking him. So we try to do it on our own for years, and then we get burnt out, and we say, I tried that Christian thing. I tried Jesus, and it didn't work out for me. And Jesus is like, I was here standing the whole time, ready to wash you clean, ready to serve you, ready to do everything you needed, and you never asked me. 
And when you did ask me, you didn't really believe. You guys get the point? We ask and we believe in humility and faith. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. This plague shows us our need for the blood of Jesus to cleanse us daily. If you thought Christianity was about doing good things, starting good programs, anything except coming to Jesus every morning and pleading his blood, believing his blood, and accepting what his blood does in your life, then you've, you've missed it. 2 Corinthians 7. Therefore we have these promises, beloved. Promises. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the, in the fear of God. How does this work daily? I know when I first come to Jesus, I ask him to cleanse me with his blood. You know, maybe you remember that day that was the first day where you knew that you were forgiven of all your sins. It was the day before you, you were sinful, you were guilty, you knew if you died that day you were going to hell. And then you come and you, you hear about what Jesus did for you and you say, Jesus, if you could forgive me, I, I, it seems impossible, but I ask you to forgive me. And then you knew all your sins were gone. That's starting your relationship with God. But how does this work in the, in the progressive relationship with God, in the going on with God or the sanctification part of our relationship with God? He says, you perfect holiness in the fear of God. It's based on promises, he said. And that's called the new covenant. It has two parts. The beginning, where you got all your sin washed away, and then now, every day, you grow a little bit more in trusting him and drawing near to him, and his promises change you as we believe them. Does that make sense? God's promises supply all that is needed needed for him to cleanse you every day. There's nothing on you. Your walk with Jesus does not depend on you. We present ourselves before him with humility saying, I need you, with faith saying, I depend on you. And he does the work in us. How? How do we do this? James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying, if you have anything going on in your life that's sinful as a Christian, the solution is not come and do more sacrifices and work harder. It's draw near to God. Come approach him. Ask him for his blood to cleanse you. And it cleanses you. It changes your hands. It changes how you act, what you do. It changes your heart, what you desire. That's what this is all about. Our hearts must draw near to God. We must draw near to God with humility, saying, I need you. Faith, I depend on you. And he does all the purifying work for us. It is such a good deal. It is such a good deal. We don't have to develop it in ourselves or do it ourselves. He does it for us. Draw near to God 
and let him wash you. He won't wash you if you don't want it. If you don't feel like you need it. But as we read the word and as the Ten Commandments, we read those Ten Commandments and then we realize, I don't measure up. Then we come to him. Now we're ready to come to him and say, okay, I'm ready for you to serve me. Because that's how this all works. Now, drawing near to God, um, some people say, oh, I'm just going to keep living my life and doing what I want to do. I'm just going to keep sinning. And I'll wait for Jesus to change my life someday with magic. And that's called hyper grace. That is not what we said. We said proactively draw near to Jesus and confess your need to him and he will respond with his gracious power. See, hyper grace does not believe the gospel. We draw near to God and trust him humbly and engage with God with this humility. So what can wash away our sin? That's right. You guys learned the lesson. Our sacrifices don't matter. It's the sacrifice of Jesus that matters, right? It's his blood that was given so that our hearts could be saved and changed. When they would sacrifice these humans, their blood would be spilled, but it didn't matter. And isn't that sad? I think it's sad. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, pick up his cross and follow me. What Jesus asks from us can only be done with a new heart. And it's impossible for a normal man to obey these impossible commands for us. But when we have this new heart, we don't want or need to do anything else except all that he commands us to do. It's such a wonderful life when you love keeping his commands. And he gives us all that we need as we actively draw near in the full assurance of faith. Amen? Amen. That's the plague of boils. And it all boils down to Jesus, BK. 